It's Friday the 15th of November and this is the Monocle Minute. Today, why is Kosovo having such a hard time convincing the world to recognize its status as an independent nation? We'll hear from our Balkans correspondent, Gaida Lorne. These de-recognitions that have taken place are bringing Kosovo down towards the 50% uh, mark of UN member states which recognize Kosovo's independence. Also ahead, Andrew Muller examines what we've learned from the week's news headlines. And our senior editor, Robert Bound, takes his secateurs to England's baddest apples. I'm Ben Ryland in London. The Monocle Minute starts now. Serbia's campaign to persuade other countries to reverse their recognition of Kosovo has bagged a 16th target. Ghana has decided that its recognition of Kosovo back in 2012 might have been premature. Other countries that have already revoked recognition include Togo, Madagascar, Papua New Guinea and Suriname. Guy is Monocle's correspondent in the Balkans. It's a drag for Kosovo because it illustrates once again that they're in limbo, that they're not recognised, OK, by Ghana and Togo, as you mentioned, uh, but they're also not recognised by five European Union member states, including Spain, Greece, Cyprus, uh, Romania and Slovakia, I think is the other one. Um, they're not recognised by Russia, China, Brazil, India, Indonesia. You know, the list goes on. And these derecognitions that have taken place are bringing in Kosovo, slowly but steadily, down towards the 50% uh, mark of UN member states which recognise Kosovo's unilaterally declared independence. So it's a real problem in terms of Kosovo's credibility, its statehood, and its uh, ambitions to uh, gain all of the accoutrements of statehood which would allow it to develop as a country. I think that if you had uh, Belgrade and Pristina back around the negotiating table in Brussels and if you had movement towards the Brussels agreement uh, between the two being implemented properly by both sides, you would see all the shenanigans end very quickly. You'd see Serbia's derecognition campaign uh, coming to an end. You'd see this 100% tariff by Kosovo dropped and you'd see them doing what they committed to do, uh, which is to normalise relations and to enable both Kosovo and Serbia to press ahead with their own diplomatic ambitions, whether that's membership of the United Nations or membership of the European Union. Uh, that would be what we'd be seeing very quickly. I think it's as simple as that. Uh, Kosovo is about to get a new government. We've had an election and the largest party following that election which presumably will end up in government, is an Albanian nationalist party. So, you know, <laughs> it's not looking good for these talks restarting. And uh, to this day, a majority of ethnic Albanians in Kosovo, and they make up more than 90% of the population, would rather unify with Albania than have an independent Kosovo. So I think what Ivica Dacic and his campaign here is doing is illustrate the very absurdity of a lot of diplomatic positions regarding Kosovo, not just Serbia's. As we wind down into the weekend, let's turn now to our contributing editor, Andrew Muller, for a look at what we might have learned from the week's news headlines. We learned this week that some people never will. Here in the UK, Brexit Party leader Nigel Farage made the widely expected announcement that his glorious storming of the bastions of British democracy next month will be scaled back to an apologetic tapping on the drawbridge. The Brexit Party will not contest the 317 seats 
the Conservatives won at the last election. This was news to many Brexit Party candidates who had paid £100 each even to have their applications considered and had made further investments in their suddenly cancelled campaigns. Money they could have spent on snake oil, magic beans or part shares in Tower Bridge. We did not learn, however, what is in a report by Parliament's Intelligence and Security Committee looking at Russian interference in recent British elections, and possibly more significantly, referendums. The report has been in the possession of 10 Downing Street since last month and cleared for publication. The government has decided not to release it until after the coming election, however. Former Conservative Justice Secretary David Gork, who chaired the committee which wrote the report, had some distinctly non-party line views on this. Perhaps this is why he is now running as an independent and urging people not to vote for his old party. I just think it is too much of a risk for the economy if we are going to find ourselves crashing out uh, without a deal at the end of 2020. And I don't think that the Conservative Party is being straight with the British people as to the choices that we face and the implications of those choices. On the Atlantic's other shore, we learned that the impeachment proceedings investigating the conduct of US President Donald Trump are going to be as edifying a spectacle as might have been imagined. I want to emphasize at the outset that while I am aware that the committee has requested my testimony as part of impeachment proceedings, I am not here to take one side or the other or to advocate for any particular outcome of these proceedings. The first witnesses to testify, stolid, serious career diplomats, did their best but could not quite disguise the impression that they are, in essence, narrating a clown car demolition derby. Elsewhere, we learned that the melancholy fraternity of exiled leaders has swelled by one as ousted Bolivian President Evo Morales was granted asylum in Mexico, a popular destination for the unhorsed and unwanted. We learned this week that even the most brutal demonstrations of the elemental furies will not teach people what they are determined not to learn. In Australia, an area larger than Cyprus has been incinerated by bushfires shocking not not only in their scale, but their timing. By historical standards, it is far, far too early in the summer for this kind of thing, though Australia's Deputy Prime Minister is among those who'd rather see climate change as someone else's invention than his problem. We've had fires in Australia since, well, from since time began. And what people need now is a little bit of sympathy, understanding and, and real assistance. They, they need help. They need shelter. Not but the but why is it, some, why is well, it wrong to the, ask the, those questions? Well, they don't need the ravings of some pure, enlightened and woke capital city greenies at this time. And in Venice, with due acknowledgement that they were always kind of asking for trouble by building a city in an actual lagoon, we learned that local authorities have somehow managed to be unprepared for Venice's canals ending up in Venice's houses, restaurants and museums. Here's Monocle's culture editor, Chiara Ramella. A conversation about building a tidal barrier to protect a city began decades ago. That project, called Mose, is still far from completion, marred by overspending and corruption scandals. And to go back, 
to where we came in in a week, another week, in which those who complain about being governed by elites have done quite a good job of demonstrating why we were asking elites to govern us in the first place, the journalist Joel Stein told us why he's written a book, defending those who probably need defending least. I am not talking about rich people. I'm talking about the intellectual elite. So these are the people who care less about having a yacht than giving a TED talk. These are, I think, the Monica listeners. So I'm talking about people who care much more about ideas than gold plating everything in their house. And with that sweep of the horizon from the ivory tower in the metropolitan bubble for Monocle 24, I'm Andrew Miller. And finally today, our senior editor, Robert Bound, gets to the core of England's Apple problem. In a recent interview, Raymond Blanc, the Anglophile French chef, blamed the demise of the British orchard and the well-being of the English apple itself on France's Golden Delicious. Aided by the Le Crunch marketing campaign of the 1970s, crates of these sweet nothings turned up in greengrocers' shops, turning heads and changing eating habits. The Golden Delicious single-handedly murdered the British orchard. As a Frenchman, I do feel guilty, said Blanc. Well said, Raymond. Golden Delicious are misnamed, mismarketed, vile. So, in quick order, which other fruits would we consign to the permanent compost bin of history? The durian. Asia's favourite fruit is beloved of expat communities the world over, but certainly isn't the new avocado, and so fortunately hasn't taken over the Western menu. A cursory Google relays that the spiky fruit smells like a mixture of pig shit, turpentine and onions, garnished with a gym sock. It's supposedly very nutritious, but so is drinking plant fertiliser straight from the bottle. The jackfruit. In vegan vogue as a meat alternative, this fibrous knave is creeping into sandwich territory and must be stopped. Again, it stinks. Musky, say converts, which is surely what you all want from a fruit. Persimmon. This nasty little mini pumpkin, fit only for a doll's house on Halloween night, just shouldn't be sold. You know you're in trouble when someone says, well, it tastes like it's off, but it's not, and getting to the fruit requires the skill of an endlessly patient heart surgeon purse off more like. We could go on but you all know what's left at the breakfast buffet, the pomelo and star fruit looking forlorn with the cold scrambled eggs. When it comes to fruit, just give us a big bag of cocks and be done with it. For Monocle, I'm Robert Bound. And that's all in today's program. You can read and subscribe to our daily email bulletin at our website, monocle.com. I'm Ben Ryland. The Monocle Minute returns on Monday. Enjoy your weekend. Hold up. 